0: Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Alliance podcast. Uh, we are here today joined in studio again uh, with uh, our friend Chris Standish, good friend of the show. Uh, your hosts Chris and Nate are here as always and uh, we're joined over our tech wizard, uh, our tech sorcerer, uh, Dave Wetloffer over on the, uh, on the microphone.
1: He's the Gandalf of Sambo.
0: He is the Gandalf of podcasts. So um, we, uh, we have a couple of uh, really interesting talking points today. We're going to start off with our session, uh, What Goes in the Bin. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, this is just our segment where we talk about Christian culture, church culture, and talk about what we just need to do away with. What are the, what are the points of, of Christ, Christian culture that we just need to, we need to can, we need to put them in the bin. I got one for you today. I'm, I'm going to go with the thing we need to get rid of in Christian culture is bad coffee. honestly we need to get rid of bad coffee and okay so uh, just the
1: culture in general that's (laughs) a
0: culture in general but churches i mean in in a place that like we we value fellowship we value all these things and how many churches we have our foyers we have our coffee time before or after or some of those real hipster churches have the coffee during like a five minute coffee break and so much of it is just bad we're getting like maxwell house coffee from costco or something like that and we're serving bad coffee and we're watering it down to save the budget Let's get rid of bad coffee. Let's just serve people good coffee. And then maybe people won't fall asleep in church. Maybe people will be more engaging. Maybe there will be more fellowship going on because we can actually connect over good coffee.
1: I feel like you could sell that idea to the elders too. Like, like, we need to love our neighbors by giving them the best coffee they've ever had. Totally. Totally. At London, we budget.
2: use Peruvian coffee, Peruvian. which is quite delicious.
0: <laughs> At your church? Mm-hmm. Wow! Mm-hmm. It, it's Peruvian coffee. It is. Is that
2: new since Jude took over? He he? Did he th- did he throw in the bin I, the bad coffee? I believe Dave the Smith brought that, or uh. Graham. And I, I think it's been around for about two years. I think. Wow, you guys are ahead of the curve. It just gives you us a connection to our. You're loving your neighbors. uh,
1: They've already been bad coffee.
0: We're behind the times. We're bad. All right. I apologize to anybody who's listening from Crossroads who's been given Maxwell House coffee or whatever it is that we use Folgers, you know, whatever. We're not giving you the Peruvian stuff. We'll get on that.
2: Got to connect it with your missions workers. Yeah. Good call. So figure out where you have missionaries and
0: get their coffee. Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is that we should choose missions trips based on what <laughs> what countries supply good coffee. Is so that what I hear you saying? So we're now so. sending all missionaries <laughs> yeah. to Colombia. Yeah, only <laughs> Colombia. That's what we're doing. Like
1: All missions go to Colombia. Uh,
2: all right. What are you throwing in the in the bin dish? I do not like when people use the term sanctuary for the auditorium. Oh. I just feel like, you know it makes you think that that is the holy place. That is where we are meeting God when really we meet with God everywhere we go. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So sanctuary, I am not a fan of that. It's the auditorium.
0: I grew up in, in church where like my dad always used to tell me not not to run in the sanctuary, right? Mm. Like, and, yes. and you, get, you get these parents... Behave there. Who, yeah, behave but there, but everywhere else you can be run ridiculous around and be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's silly. Yeah, I'm, good I'm one. Very
1: a good one. I'm very convicted by that one because I always refer to it as the mm-hmm, sanctuary because mm-hmm. it's a safe zone. Mm-hmm. It's a
2: safe zone. It's like
1: the tree with the nest. well i time get going to
2: remind you. I get the sense a peaceful place, you know. Um, Let's call it the haven. But yeah, I just think,
0: uh, yeah. All right. What are you throwing in the bin, Booty? I,
1: mine may be a little controversial, so I don't want to offend anybody, but... I'm getting rid of the, the prayer that starts with dad, like Mm. dad, I really, I really love you today. Like I get the sense and the idea, but it's just so hipster. It drives me insane. (laughs) And it never, like, I don't care if you do that in your personal prayer life, but when we're in a group and we're we're corporately praying and somebody stands up and is like, dad, it's just like, immediately I've stopped listening to the person and I'm judging all their theology. So Let's just bend that (laughs) off and let's have some reverence when we pray. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Probably a good title would be a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also don't like the overemphasis on like when somebody's like Father God, Father God, Father God, all the way through their prayer. That also is a bit distracting. And I do that one a lot too because... my train of thought goes, you know what Mm. I mean? I just, I want to, I want to, I want to bin off the overuse of, of, you know, like super familiar, you know what I mean? I just want to get rid of the dad idea. I'm going to remember
2: this next time we're praying together.
1: Yeah. We're all going to be really insecure praying
2: Mm -hmm. around each other from Mm -hmm. now
1: on. Thanks
0: for that. You're You've ruined Rebel Alliance prayer time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the
1: Rebel Alliance prayer time is just taking a dive. And this was directly related actually. <laughs> you. Yeah. Just kidding.
0: Um, okay, so uh, opening question, just to get us uh, moving today. Actually, here's a here's a good one. So uh, we're all big sports fans here, and we're not going to talk about the Jays' bad start or or uh, talk about the you know the Leafs getting beat out of the playoffs or anything like that. Uh, those are too difficult topics. But what we can talk about is what is the most theologically sound sport.
2: all right beat us
1: off go for it i have the right answer so (laughs) and because this is anytime we talk about sports be it best athletes best sport best anything the right and correct proper answer is soccer and i don't even like using the term soccer but i'm doing that for our north american uncultured listeners wow Um, yeah i just dropped the gauntlet um soccer is 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 the most judgmental but okay It's the most <laughs> theological sport. And I know what you're all thinking. Be like, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's boring. Wrong. It's the most theological for a lot of different reasons. One, it's the most pure. So the, the sport itself, all it is is a ball and running around on God's creation. That's, that's brilliant. So one, we're already honoring God's creation by having natural grass. We don't have fancy stadiums, anything like that. And then everything that happens in the sport, you know, a red card, it's punishment for sin. He dived. He did something. <laughs> Punishment for sin, yellow cards, rebuking—you know—all like those things. There's lots, of, lots of stuff into that. Goals. Um, when you when he score a goal, it's like a real—it's a real thing in soccer, unlike you know basketball where it just happens all the time. It's just like oh, I get candy every <laughs> time I pray. Um, a goal is like a real thing. It's like sanctification. Like I've, we've led as a team together to win this game. We've achieved the goal. And so I just think it's the most theological sport that's off no no thought process before no that. thought
0: process at all uh, okay first of all I, I would I would grant you the um, we're just playing a God's creation instead of these big fancy stadiums if all of the people who are watching were just sitting on logs but they're not they're sitting in bleachers built by man so I'm, I'm not gonna accept I'm not gonna accept that particular answer uh, I'm gonna go with baseball I'll tell you why I'm gonna go with baseball so first of all baseball um, there's this beautiful blending, right? So you, there's both uh, a time to bat and a time to field. And when you are in the field, you are part of a team right you uh, you have to work well with your your fielders if you're on second base or shortstop you got to work well to turn double plays you got to know who's covering the bag if you're in the outfield you got to communicate with your other outfielder so that uh, you don't run into each other you know how you need to know how to hit the cutoff man you're part of a team just like as Christians we are baptized into a body and we all have a part to play and we have to work together but there's also the time to get up to bat. And that's the time for the individual to, to shine because there's also an individual side to our faith where you have to combat sin. You have to overcome sin. You have to, So there's, there's both a personal individual side to our faith and there's a, there's a part of the body, a body life of our faith. So the other thing <clears throat> that I would say is that um, when you know, th- there's, there's both the other team that's working against you and the other thing about baseball is it, it's a game of of losing odds, right? So, like, the best hitters in the world fail 7 out of 10 times, right? The best hitters in the world are only hitting 300. So it's teaching you that you you can't be perfect on your own, right? It's teaching you that you need someone else. Because if you're getting out 7 out of 10 times, you need your teammates to pick you up. You need somebody outside of yourself to, to get you around the bases.
1: I feel like if it was really theological, though, then the ump is like the... Like it makes it unbiblical because it's like strikes. Shouldn't we be forgiving people seventy times seven instead of there's three strikes and you're out of this game? You go sit down. I feel like you've lost based on that on that preference. Like, but see, we're we're not saying it's that now misinterpreting perfect
0: scripture. theological sport. We're saying which is the most <laughs> theological. Well,
1: all your arguments translate into soccer too. Soccer is more teamwork. The whole body. Head the strikers the but defenders there's no have there's no together. moment
0: where an individual like a goalie might make a great save or a guy might make a great shot but there's no way for you to get from one end of the field to the other without your teammates well so just nobody like, goes right just like right.
1: a Christian can't get from convert to sanctified without the holy Spirit checkmate <laughs> All right, whatever. Break our tie here. <laughs> All right, dish. I think
2: I think both your arguments are interesting and a touch weak. Nate, my my Ooh, my uh. issue with baseball is it's too much about statistics. And I literally just heard a podcast where you know we talk about statistics in the church and we can't determine what went on because of statistics. So mm. let just uh, that's mm. my big issue there. And Chris, you were just like soccer, very passionate but no substance, and a uh, lot of passion with soccer. My big issue is just the deception. Mm, of of, I, I of the... Uh, the sin
1: gets punished, though, right? <laughs> it's true, not but the always. dives, fact, yes, the it gets dives. Rewarded. Well, sometimes yeah. it's in the secret. But everybody knows. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and
2: yes, very passionate people. But really, it's the diving that I think kills everybody. And uh, yeah, issue. So I've got this one hands down. So thanks for letting me go last. My sport is lacrosse. Lacrosse? Yes, lacrosse. And and let's just go right at it. So lacrosse is First Nations people's game. And they call it the creator's game. It's actually called the creator's game. And they play it to entertain God. Okay, so that's, that's pretty cool in itself. <laughs> now, when settlers came over, particularly the uh, French uh, Jesuits, when they saw the lacrosse stick, they saw, thought that the stick looked a lot like the uh, bishop's, um, bishop's staff, and so they called it the cross. So already we have lacrosse, the cross, it is a cross centered game. Okay. Uh, One of the words for lacrosse, (laughs) one of the First Nations words for lacrosse is begataway, and that means little brother of war. And they use this game to train up uh, their children for, for war, for battle. And in the Christian life, we know that this life is a battle is a war. And so as we engage the battle on the floor and we endure suffering while keeping our eye on the ball, you know, and, and keeping every, you know, the suffering peripheral, it is a great training ground. Um, what do you think?
1: I think he wins. I, Yeah, I, I feel like you
2: could drop the mic on that
0: one. Well played. Definitely more thoughtful it. than the rest of us. Yeah,
2: I've been thinking about it for about a week since you told me the topic. I'm nice. not into like the Star Wars yeah. and the Marvel comics. So this was. I was hoping you would start with a question like this.
1: You, I think you had us checkmated when you said carrying the cross. Yeah. Mm. We we're just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. When
0: you said it's a cross-centered game, mm. I thought, I'm not winning this fight. <laughs> well yeah, played. Like, yeah, well played. How yeah, can I spin uh, this to soccer? Yeah. And I was like, I can't. I yeah, really I'm going to I'm gonna have to think about this. We might have to have you back on just so I can refute it. But Sounds at the good. moment, I can't, I'm not going to be able to do it. Sounds butcher. good, yeah.
1: Temporarily conceding until I can figure out how to disqualify lacrosse from being a sport. So I don't know if you're going to be able to do that. But can't I? I, I I'll, I'll work with you on that one.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, well played, Chris. Uh, I think you win that one. Um, one of the things that, uh, that we are talking about today um, is another area of passion for you. Um, so we know now, obviously, that you're passionate about lacrosse, and uh, and we also know you're passionate about worship, and uh, and we're uh, Chris. Uh is a worship leader at Westland Alliance. He's done a lot of worship uh, for us out at Crossroads. And, uh, and so we just want to talk about worship. It's, it's one of those things, it's huge in our culture because music is huge in our culture. And uh, like so many things in the church, we have to start asking the questions, has culture influenced our worship more than worship has influenced our culture? And uh, I think that's that's kind of worth talking about. So first of all, let me ask this, as two worship leaders, right, I'm, I'm the odd man out here, um, how important is worship in the church? like and and by worship i i mean specifically our time of singing and our time of music in a worship service how important
1: is that I, I think it's very important but i wouldn't i wouldn't say worship is only the singing in the church i think i think everything we do in the church is worship i think the giving is worship i think the sermon is worship so i i think the problem is that we've taken worship and equated that to song and it's i'm saying that worship the worship time like you you were saying in another time about worship leader as a thing i think the worship overall is something that we need to we need to reclaim what that actually means in in the context of church songs are part of it but so could be you know the giving is part of worship that's an act of worship your preaching on a sunday is worship through word you know what i mean reading liturgies would be worship through words so i think I think it's very important. How particularly important is the singing aspect of that? Well, that's a totally different debate.
0: Okay.
2: When I look at scripture and I look at the history of God's people, God's people are a singing people. You know, we look at Exodus fifteen and we see God's people singing when God rescues them from their enemies. You know, we have many songs throughout God's word. And then when we get to New Testament, we are actually commanded to sing and sing in a corporate context so already i think we have a biblical instruction command to sing together Mm -hmm. now how that's done is a whole other question yeah and one i've struggled with for 12 years as i've journeyed through this so i'm interested to be conversing about this with you guys
0: well and i think i think it, it is interesting you're right it seems like whenever god moves among his people in the old testament that it results in song, right? Like uh, Moses parts the Red Sea, right? God works through Moses, saves his people. Um, they come out the other side on dry land. Uh, God brings the the waters back in, cover the Egyptians, and they sing on the other side, right? The song of Moses, and, and, uh, and they sing worship to God. I think about Nehemiah, right? And so they come back in, they rebuild the walls, and then once the walls are rebuilt after this this big long ordeal, actually I guess it wasn't that long. They got it up pretty quickly. But uh, they bring out the book, right? And and uh, they they read from God's word. And what happens? It says they respond with worship and praise, and they lift up their hands and they start going crazy about this. They they start they respond in worship. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It is super important. Um, I so I guess the question is what should that look like in our worship services? So if it's all worship but music is a, is a, is an important part of it, what should that look like?
1: For for me, it's all it all comes down to the idea of like authentic. So for me, I don't I don't necessarily think there should be a there's a template that is right or wrong. Music changes. You know what I mean? Like so what we used to do in terms of in terms of music 300 years ago, isn't going to be the same as what we do today. There is no set, right. This is what it is. Our, our songs need to glorify God with honoring and pleasing lyrics to him with authentic people leading it and authentic hearts as a congregation praising the Lord in, in these times. And I think, I think if we have those factors together, the model that we have in terms of what worship would look like is kind of secondary. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about lights, it's not about drums, it's not about how awesome your guitar player is at doing a rift. All those things can be good if they're done with the appropriate heart condition behind them. If you're, if you're rocking out to a rock song in church because the people in your church and the, and the message and the words of that song deserve loud noise, joyful noise to the Lord, then amen, praise, dance in the aisles, that's great. But at the same token, if you're doing those same things with a performance mentality where it's like, look at how good I am playing this music and, and how clever I am on the guitar using these things, then those same good lyrics, same good songs can be very negative and almost offensive to God. So, cause your heart condition, cause it, worship is a heart thing.
0: Hmm. I, I wanted to ask you a question. Do you want to jump in on that though, Chris? You, you're, you're. I would consider you more of an expert on this than oh, I geez, am. Oh so.
2: no. Uh, no just, just thinking about what you're saying there. Yes, definitely. We're looking at the the heart, and it's pretty easy to turn the music time uh, to be a song time as opposed to a song time with worship. You know what I mean? We can mm-hmm. be we can be singing. We can be people that honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. And so that worship is what we're trying to get to, where people are really meditating on the word of god on the truth of god and letting that impact us corporately together at the same time that is all right so we're 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 pulling off a
0: couple of big themes here i want to i want to hit a couple of them so first of all let me ask you this if um what I hear you both saying is, is authentic, what's going on in the heart, right? Both of the, of the, the worship leader. Can I use that term without offending anybody? Do you want me to say— We can discuss that music? later, yes. <laughs> um, for lack of a better for term. For lack of it. a better term. Um, so, you know, is, I agree we're after authentic. Is the quality of the music in any way a part of worship here? So I hear what you're saying, the heart condition, but I mean, let's talk a little bit about the quality. I mean, our, um, because I know we're there, we we don't want, I, I'm just asking the question. I I see you both smirking at me. So,
2: so answer the question. This is the funny thing. Like musicians pick up different things that other musicians do or don't do a lot more than your general congregant. And so there are things that we might find are distracting, and I'm talking about the musician, but that your general congregant does not pick up on. So when it comes from a quality, yes, I wanna offer the Lord my best at all times, but I wanna do my best as a father, I wanna do my best uh, you know, in the workplace, I wanna be the best friend I can to you. But in this corporate setting, what is this offering? Is it, is it, is it about the offering the, the musical quality? I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we would be dis- disrespecting and unloving our congregants if we, if we showed up, you know, unprepared and just, you know, uh, played along without much preparation and like, oh yeah, don't worry about those notes or, or that rhythm. Right. But it's it's more about what are we doing or what are we not doing that's now interfering with someone meditating and really thinking hard about truths of God
1: I, I would agree I would agree and I I when I speak here I, I have to speak with all humility because I, I do lead worship at, at our church and so when I say yes I think the quality matters I I say that knowing that there are numerous times I fall short of hitting the quality and doing like, you know, making mistakes and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about in terms of quality. What I think you kind of articulated, what I would say is what I'm, I'm hoping for is that it's, it's the effort that goes into it that I think matters more than the actual outcome. Mm. Whereas like, yes, I think we need to be wise in choosing if we're going to have, if we're going to have songs. That song like putting people on stage who have been gifted with talents to play their instruments and who will take that role in the church seriously and who will practice and who will pour into their preparation time, their rehearsal time, their thinking and dwelling over the songs that we that have been chosen for the week, and choosing songs for the like that match up with the sermon title, or, or speak to a theme that you're going to be going over in the service, and I think that that's an act of worship in itself, like practicing. And I think I think the key, and I think this is where we've lost this idea, and we go the other way to the performance side too often, where we we focus too much on this has to be perfect because those the the people who are coming in need to hear perfect music, where it's like no, it needs to be we want it done well so that it doesn't distract so that it's people in our in our congregation who would get distracted by me singing off key or you know Chris hitting wrong notes on his guitar which i've never heard happen um, not ever once oh my goodness
2: <laughs> you're not listening well my friend <laughs> i don't have a I'm good I'm glad evening. you were most likely engaged and that's a great thing <laughs> that's a great
0: thing okay so i and i think that's a that's an interesting point so what we're looking for in worship is creating sorry, in worship music on Sunday morning, worship music, the music time, um, is creating an atmosphere where there's no distraction. That's that's part of what I'm hearing. And I think that's an interesting thing because we want people to worship. We want people to engage. We want people to, you use the term, thinking about these deep scriptural truths. And so anything that would pull them out of that experience anything that would um, remind them that they're reading words off a, uh, off a PowerPoint anything that would remind them that they're following you know a leader um, those kinds of things so a you know uh, feedback uh, on a reverberating uh, monitor or a, uh, a a note that's played that's that you know, twinges their ear or the, those kinds of things those are they're not bad because it has to be perfect they're bad because it's pulling somebody out of
2: connecting with god is yeah, what I mean, i'm hearing we'd prefer they not happen right yeah. we are human, human. yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: we work to correct those things because one the act of working to correct those things is honoring right. i mean working hard at something god's given us in the effort to to be well at these things is a worship in itself for the worship people on the worship team, but two because we know that the people in the congregation are connecting. That that is a time in a week now we can have a discussion if they should be doing that all week. You know what I mean? And live their whole lives that way. But that's that is a time where people in our congregations are connecting heart to heart with the Lord. You know what I mean? They're they're singing, they're praising Him through their lips
2: together. Yeah, together as a corporate.
1: That's, right. There's a, that's yeah. a powerful thing that we have in our body. And if if you have a worship band up there who you know every note is wrong or it's off key all the time it's very hard to connect with that you know what i mean now it takes a special person in the in the congregation in the audience if to use a terrible term for it to not get distracted by that and i think that's why i i try to make sure everything is done with excellence but it's not because i want any kind of glory to the worship team it's because we want to have everything that we do glorify the sun hmm. and not distract from that right
0: interesting so let me ask you this then so one of the big things that i'm i'm hearing you guys both talk about is is you want them to be meditating on god and his truth so let's just say it this way true not all worship songs are created equally. <laughs> <laughs> Very there, true. There are there are some that uh, delve deeply into uh, the doctrines of justification and and uh, you know salvation by grace alone through faith alone and substitutionary atonement. Like there are there are things that are I, I guess um, written in the deep end of the pool, so to speak. And then there's some um, that generally use a lot of water references <laughs> <More> <laughs> and, are, water and, are, and are a little bit vague and a little bit poetic and uh, and maybe aren't delving quite as deep. Would Do you think that we should have standards on, on what kind of songs we're singing? And is there a place? Is there a place for some of these more artistic... Uh, I, I was about to use the term artsy-fartsy, but uh, I won't use that term. But some of these more abstract... And they can mean different things to different people kind of songs.
2: Well, what interests me looking at scripture when we hear of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is it talks about a variety of songs. I can't tell you how how each of those three words are defined uh, and what Paul meant by each of those, but just that there's a variety of songs. And I don't want to talk about experience here, but we know that there are some really heavily loaded, you know, truth songs that are... That are really needed, and and sometimes we need to take those in, and then sometimes like uh, what psalm is it that uh, uh, the, the steadfast love of the Lord never never ceases, never ceases, yeah. and that's repeated how many times? I think John Piper said it is a gloriously monotonous song. It would right. be like you know repeating the chorus uh, seventy times or something <laughs> like that. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah. So what is it? Oceans? <laughs> oh man. So there's a. Yeah, there's a wide variety of songs that yeah. that we can use in our worship. But what I'm concerned about these days is I have a hard time finding really good songs. Hmm. And, and what, what, what would be okay? So let's just ask the question: What would you consider a good song? What What's the criteria? Oh my goodness. I mean let's look at truth first for me. Let's yep. let's make sure I want to make sure it's loaded with some truths about about God, about the work that Christ has done, the work of the Spirit. Let's 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 look at that and let's let's soak that in. And then there's there's a response. So um, sometimes we need someone to write a response for us that just mm. kind of gives word to what we were thinking and what we were feeling. Uh, gives words to our response. So, you know, I think a well-balanced song would be, you know, Definitely pretty heavy on the truth, but then also connects that uh, that emotional side, the you know the enlightening the eyes of our, our heart kind of side, where where it gives us words to what the spirit's doing in us as we respond to that. You know the the worship in spirit and truth is a, a spiritual response to truths about God, right. and we know that that can only happen if the Spirit is in us. So that would be you know. Number one criteria for a a song. But for me as well, there's, from a musical standpoint, it's great when the lyrics actually match really well with the melody. You know, Mm. I think we all find sometimes there's just an awkwardness, you know, like a a writer didn't spend enough time really crafting a word really well for the melody. There's just this beautiful marriage of words and melody that create what they call lyric. And so I think there's a bit of an artistic side there. For me, that's, that's kind of part two of a great song. And then part three, does the music support the essence of the song? Mm. So does it feel appropriate from what we understand, you know? And obviously there's things that go on in our culture that help us understand things in different ways. And so for me, does the music really support the essence, you know, the grandeur of God in this place? Or are we thinking about the suffering of Christ in this other place? Are we... Does the music match the joy that's being expressed in that truth that we're, we're singing the song? So. Nice. Three, three oh, point yeah, musical sermon for me. That's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't. Ha- I don't have much to add to that because that was almost spot on, perfect. Yeah, the <laughs> thing. The thing I would. I always like to say when I'm listening to a song, discerning is if if I could sing the song and just replace Jesus with my girlfriend in the song, or like <laughs> my wife <laughs> or whoever. Like, I don't have have a girlfriend, but I mean, if you can, if you can change <laughs> that's the only <good> <laughs> have a wife. I just, I just figured I should probably clarify that. Um, but if you can substitute any of the lyrics, because it's so vague and abstract to right. what the message is being spoken, then that's not a good song. Right. Because it doesn't... It's not...
0: If like, it could be a, a a song in a romantic comedy uh, just as easily as it could be a song in church, it's not a good song.
2: It's not a good song. <laughs> so question for you guys. How do you feel culture has negatively influenced our song time or our songwriting?
0: Okay, I... I Great segue, because this is exactly the next place I want to go, is I wanted to say, number one, I think you just hit on it. I think, number one, the most popular songs in culture, it seems like, are songs of either, you know, uh, they're love songs, right? They're they're songs that are about romantic love. And so when we are talking about God romantically, that's a bit of an issue for me. And I say that, I, I get that Song of Solomon is part of the Bible, but it's also one book in an entire Bible. And there isn't, you know, when God talks about his, so, and this is the the unique thing about corporate worship time, right? Is it's not appropriate for me to be talking about um, love for God in a romantic sense, because the Bible only ever describes that in terms of corporate, right? So, the church collectively is the bride of Christ. I'm not the bride of Christ. You're not the bride of Christ. The church collectively is the bride of Christ. So there's there's almost like a, 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 a song that's appropriate to sing corporately that isn't necessarily appropriate to sing individually. And I don't know that there's many musicians who are thinking through something that, that deep. The other thing that I would say is that I find what the biggest cultural thing that has influenced uh, Christian songwriting is a me-centered culture, right? Jesus, one of the, his, his main messages was, you know, if you those who find the life will lose it, right? Those who will give up their life for my sake will find it. He was trying to put to death the me-centric life. And most of our songs are, God do this for me, God help me, God find me, you know, do these things for me. And so a lot of the songs are very me centric as opposed to praise, right? Praise is God is the object of the song and our praise. Whereas I think a lot of modern worship songs, I'm the subject, right? And it's what God can do for me. So I think that's that's one of the main things that I have a problem with.
1: Yeah. I would I would think that's exactly what I what I would say how culture has affected our worship is that we've we've become the the hero of our songs, like right. God's called me out onto the waters. You know what I mean? Like, um, I can do this because, you know what I mean? Right. Where instead of like being like, he has done this, like right. singing songs that would be like, he created the world, he saved us, you know what right. I mean? He is holy. We're now like, we're now holy because, and we're singing songs about that instead of like, we've, we've replaced the emphasis and that's very backwards.
0: And I think, you know, it's interesting to think of what songs have endured. I mean, how many songs in in a worship setting could you i mean could you still play in almost any evangelical church you could sing the song how great is our god and and you wouldn't need lyrics up on the on the powerpoint for it right because that's a song that's endured because it's it's focused on on him it it hasn't been subject to the changing culture of me isms it's it's about him it's about his greatness um, so it's interesting when you just think about some of those songs that have lasted the, the test of time. You think about the doxology and, and some of these things. So, um, so I think that's very, very telling. Um, the other thing, and, and I'd, I'd just be interested to, to hear your thoughts on this because this, this is kind of a two-part question. Um, number one, what, songs that kind of irritate me are songs that ask God to do something that he's already done, right? So you think about songs that ask God to pour out his Spirit hey, that happened, it's in Acts 2, read your Bible.
1: Holy Spirit, right. you are welcome here? Right, yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> come fill a, this a song. place? <laughs> right, so that, there's another song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, come fill this place and change the atmosphere, I think is the, is the way it goes. The Holy Spirit doesn't need an invitation Right, like so. Again, you're you're asking God, and what did God say? God said, or Jesus said, "It's better for me to go. I will send you the the Comforter. I will send you the Helper. I will send you the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you or forsake you. Literally, God will always be with you because the Spirit dwells inside you. So inviting the Spirit into our worship services is kind of ridiculous, <laughs> right? And so I I just I, I struggle with some of the songs that I you know, let your fire fall, heal us one and all. It's like again tongues of fire fell, and I was at Pentecost. So I struggle with that a little bit. Now, I get it, because there is a sense in which inviting the Holy Spirit to be a part of our service, right, empower our prayers, um, affect our understanding, that would be appropriate. And maybe the song means that. So the second part to the question, the first question is, does that annoy you as much as it annoys me? <laughs> the second part of the question is, what responsibility is it of the worship leader to kind of educate the congregation on what it is that we're singing.
2: I think that's the thing that's lacking huge is, first of all, pastoral involvement in this song time. I know it's great that you pastors give us a sense on what you're preaching on so we can work with you, but the pastor needs to pastor, the church needs to teach us what is this corporate worship thing? What has God commanded? What should it look like? And I think we need, there's too many misunderstandings these days about what this corporate worship thing is that we need pastors speaking into that. And then when it comes to song leader, like me, (laughs) I'm working off you guys and reading to do as best I can to understand what these songs are actually about. And then in some cases, redeeming aspects of the song that either aren't understood or even aren't clear to myself. And so that's why, for me, a song time needs to have a lot of scripture in it as well. I mean, I say a lot, but I mean, at least some clarify. Uh, clarity in in the scripture as well that can set up a song so song could be used in a particular uh, way just helps us be just a little more truth loaded in our times of singing you know because if that's what we're spiritually responding to the truth then sometimes a song is lacking um and there might be some qualities of that song that really work for that time but they just need a little more support um and and let let's support that with with scripture that's what I'd say one of our big issues is right now
1: yeah I would I would agree some and sometimes it's like just knowing that a song doesn't like if you have to explain a song too much it's it's probably not a good song yeah. like days of Elijah nobody in the world knows what that means so Robin Mark might I'm mm. not sure <laughs> because like I emailed no, um, but like if you have to if you have to sit down and explain to every member of your congregation what a song means, you probably could have just been more discerning and picking a better song because that's not a very good song right. and I think that's uh, that's part of it I think I think like what you were saying in terms of the we need more pastoral guidance in our in our worship ministry I think is spot on because the, the truth is in most churches the worship leaders are volunteer musicians. untrained like musicians they're not pastors they're not right. people who have gone, and I'm one of them, so I know that I'm not a pastor, you know what I mean? So having direction and having, like, guidance above you is a, is a good and healthy thing. Especially
2: when a third of our gathering is going to be singing. Exactly. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I,
0: I think it is interesting. So I never really thought about that, so I appreciate uh, you, you uh, saying it. Um, but a lot of our, the hymns that have endured over the years were hymns that were written by pastors, right and so that's an interesting thing that now we've kind of gotten into a specialization where now musicians are writing songs maybe not quite as as theologically trained not quite as studied in the word of god i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing if there's still pastoral involvement like you're saying right if we can uh, I, I say that because I think if the pastor is the one who's writing the music and writing the sermon and preaching the sermon and 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 doing all this stuff then you're getting too focused on on the pastor right the the body is a as a group of people and we all function together and philippians tells us that each person who's not using their gift is is essentially withholding god's grace and it's in some of its varied forms so um, so, I think involving more people is a, is a good thing, but that doesn't mean segregating
2: it from the pastoral oversight. So, yeah, I, I do really appreciate it. You know, that. it's amazing. I'm a fan of the work of Hillsong, but years ago, they actually assigned a pastor to their songwriting team. And you can you can see some of the difference in their songs, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think it, it was around 07, 08, and I mean, someone can fact check that. But yeah. uh, it was really interesting to, to hear and read about that, a pastor working with songwriters in this aspect. And uh, pretty interesting to see the change that, that, that came about.
1: That's, a, that's interesting. It's like, as worship leaders, I think a good takeaway there is to include your pastor in, in the songs you guys already do and maybe go over them. Spend time figure out what this song means. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't stand up, just bend the song. You know what I mean? We, we don't need that song. There's so many good songs. And like you were saying that there's, there are songs that were written hundreds of years ago that are still as relevant to the body of Christ today as they were when they were written. And those songs endure for a reason. And then there's songs that we do today that speak to a truth that we can communicate and, and demonstrate and that song might go away but it might be applicable for your church right now you know what i mean and i think as long as you're prayerfully discerning these songs and in communication with your pastor and going over these songs i think it can be a very healthy thing that I, a lot of worship leaders don't just don't do
2: well interesting to me wesley wrote something like 7000 hymns yeah, something crazy so like that. were they singing like 5 new ones every week to get through his whole catalog <laughs> yeah, seems you know that what way, i mean yeah. like yeah, yeah, you
0: wonder how many of them were, were for his church or maybe some of them were just him working out his, his own, you know, devotion time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's easy for the three of us to get here and kind of talk shop a little bit. I hope this has been helpful and practical for everybody who's listening. So I just want to kind of end with something really, really practical. So all right, a lot of our listeners are, are they're, they're the ones just standing in the congregation singing along to these corporate worship songs. They might not be thinking through how the songs get selected what's some advice that we can give them to help them get the most out of that time? So you, you got the average listener, they're just listening and they're thinking about, okay, that, that's great, but I'm not picking the songs. What can I do to make worship more meaningful for me each Sunday? How would you answer that?
1: Well, I, I, think, I think the key is to, again, put worship in its proper, proper place. Worship isn't just, isn't just the songs. The songs at, on Sunday morning should be all week, somebody who's been in the word, who's been praying, who's been worshiping it by the way they've lived their lives during the week, falling and getting back up, repenting, you know, I mean all those things, worship is that, is that time where you can just praise God for everything he's done at that time. So like for somebody who's just coming to our church and, you know, listen to our songs and, and whatnot, that should be, and hopefully is a time for them to just pour out their heart before God corporately with each other, just praise God for all that he is worthy of. You know what I mean? He's worthy of all of our praise just as much on Monday morning as he is on Sunday at 11. You know what I mean? And I think, I think we, need to, we need to create a culture that that's the case and that people know that. And so for people practically waking up on Monday morning, think about the fact that all that you do is worship. You know what I mean? In some way or another, you're doing these things to the glory of God, which is worship. You know what I mean? Like even if it's, terrible Monday morning work you know what I mean do that and worship God with that and then Sunday morning becomes a response not a not a fill-up time or a responding time to what you've been living all week
2: Interesting. Yeah, amen to that and I would just say we need to come into our services ready to think and it's easy to just walk in and all right and, and put the onus on the song leader to engage, you know, to help me engage. But if, if we came in, it's like, God, reveal yourself to me today. And we just start going hard after God, like looking for those truths in those songs, and then, you know, allowing the Spirit to to do His work in us as we respond. I think it's just turning our minds on when it's time for song time. And and I get how awkward it is. I used to, I couldn't stand the music time. And it's amazing. It wasn't until my early 20s that God changed my heart towards music time. And so I approach music leading with that knowledge of, I know how uncomfortable this can be. I know how much your preferences can get in the way for what's going on. And I know how sometimes you just don't get, what is this emotionalism going on? But if you come in being like, God, I want to, I want to know more of you I want to see I want to experience you would you do your work in this time of our singing then and then engage what whoever is provided in front of you whatever songs you've got whatever scriptures let's see let's see God work awesome cool
0: that's helpful Um, that's uh, that's all the time we got for today Um, but uh, we do want to end with our Christian life hack uh, which is just some practical helpful things for you and I'll I'll ask uh, Standish we got you here and uh, just a really practical one Um, How do you uh, be a good witness for Christ, a good ambassador for Christ when you're in a restaurant?
2: Oh, I love it. (laughs) This is fantastic. I have three young kids, so... You know, there's potential for them to be a little rowdy, but we make sure that does not happen. We make them aware that there are other people there enjoying their time, so we make sure our kids are good and controlled and being respectful. We also do our best to clean up after ourselves because our kids can make a mess with wrappers and food all over the place. And then really just ending with a big tip, you know, what is a few extra bucks? Like just, you know, God has been so generous to us. Let us spread that generosity, and here's just a, a few extra bucks to our our server so be that 20 to 25 percent tipper
0: nice awesome that's that's great all right well uh, we just want to remind everybody say thanks so much for listening and if you want to join the rebellion if you want to uh, be part of what we're doing here then uh, you can do that in a very practical way that is just uh, to like uh, and comment on and share the posts on facebook also to get on itunes and subscribe to us Uh, Give us a rating and a review, and uh, that really helps uh, spread our audience and uh, and just expand our reach a little bit. Thanks again for listening, and uh, until next time, uh, enjoy yourselves and uh, be part of the rebellion.